Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Holland, where I've just been spending some time in a couple of meetings that I've been super excited about, and I just want to share with you and give a really quick update on what's happening right now in North Korea, because in North Korea, we have been able to find a small window that has allowed us to provide direct support, and there's a reason why. You know, one of the things I do whenever I speak in any meeting, I always start off by letting them know that my way of communication, as you know, anybody that's listening to the podcast will know, my way of communication is different than most. I mean, any podcast that you listen to, a Christian podcast, you're going to find that my podcast is probably, I I would like to say a little bit more gritty because it makes me feel better, but it really is a little more sinful, maybe. I use language that people don't often use, and and the language that I use even for the podcast is toned down, because I don't know when there's kids in the car with you as you're driving, and I don't know when there's children around you in the home when you might be listening to this podcast while chopping vegetables or cooking food or doing whatever it is that you do. So I do try to tone down the podcast and I and if and if there is bad language I try to tell people at the beginning of the podcast so that they don't make the mistake of having small children around and I know that bothers a lot of Christians trust me I've gotten a hate mail of people saying Christians don't need to use bad language and you know all of I get it it's just the way I communicate and I have found in my life whether you agree with it or not some of the most honest people that I've ever listened to are those that use language that is just not kosher for the rest of the world I often say the most honest words I've ever heard come from the mouth of anyone has come from the mechanic that bangs his thumb with a hammer <laughs> I, I, I often tell people that when it comes to honesty um, I can remember going into the Marine Corps I have never heard such refined, almost Christian-tailored language as I did from the lips of my recruiter that was able to speak and let words flow like honey. I mean, he was able to share things that made everybody feel comfortable, Christians and apostates alike. But... Not everything he said was that honest. It was nice. It was appropriate. It was, dare I say, even Christian, but it wasn't always honest. One person that was very honest with me was my drill instructor. His language wasn't that kind. And his language wasn't that politically correct. His language was not that Christian, but it was the most honest. He was the most honest person I ever heard in my life. Everything my drill instructor told me was true. When he told me I was going to freaking hate life and regret the day I was born, he wasn't (laughs) wrong. I didn't go to Bible school. I mean, people that listen to this podcast know that 
you know, I didn't go, well, I did go to Bible school, but I didn't go to Bible school first. Like my background, my training was in the military. I didn't, so my background's not in mission school. I didn't get called to missions in the high, in high school and then go to Bible school, go to mission school, go to a mission college. I, my first time kind of moving into uh, China, I didn't move to China as someone that, you know, went after several mission trips. I didn't go on a mission trip, a trip to Hong Kong smuggling Bibles across the border a couple times and realized, hey, this is where I want to live. Um, I, I would argue that my first mission trip really was running military operations in the Persian Gulf as a scout sniper in the Marine Corps. And, and when it comes to that military lifestyle, which greatly influences the way that I communicate, uh, I can I, I can say that I almost have that in my blood, kind of. I'm about ready to go on my way to Texas, where my youngest son is about ready to graduate from Air Force boot camp, and I'm so excited about that. I have one son that, uh, my oldest, who is uh, going to be an officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. He just graduated from United from from military school, and then my youngest is going into special warfare. But that, I mean that I just share that to say that my background is a little different, so I communicate different than most Christians that you're used to hearing on a podcast. And even now when I'm sharing about North Korea, it's going to be a little different. And and a lot of people they often like to say things like, "Well, you know." You communicate different because you think differently. You think outside the box. That's such a cliche. I don't think outside of the box, or I don't think so. I'm just naturally disagreeable, and it's not the same thing. You know, whenever I host meetings or I speak in conferences, I did this when I was with um, uh, Heidi Baker and David Hogan in Mexico about a week ago. I did this during the time that I was in Holland. I usually tell people first in the first five minutes, I share three rules of me talking. I say first, if you're not okay with Jesus-centered Christians that do not believe exactly as you believe, you're not going to like what I have to say. Two, my second rule, if you are not okay with breaking the law, you're not going to like what I'm going to be sharing. And third, if you are easily offended by bad language, then I'm probably not the person that you want to listen to for the next 30, 40 minutes. Same with this podcast. Because the truth is, I'm not a church planter. Not in the traditional sense anyway. Not in the way that most people think of it. Most of my life is spent planting businesses and providing platforms for missionaries to operate. My main focus is to support people preaching the gospel in closed countries in whatever way I can, whether that is providing funding, whether that is providing training, whether that is providing support, whether that is providing a, a, someone that will sweep the floors in a restaurant late at night, I'm your man for that. I will do whatever it takes to support the church planter, the missionary. I plant businesses that prep for the war of end times. When I'm talking about missions, that can sound like it's a little kind, a little Christian, a little loving, and it is. It's all about love. But don't think for one minute that this is not warfare that we're involved in here at Back to Jerusalem. I start anywhere from two to 10 businesses per year in closed countries between the area between China and Jerusalem. 
as I give this update on North Korea, it's important for you to know that I'm not North Korean. I don't even speak the North Korean language. And I, God forbid that I ever tell you that I'm an expert on North Korea because I'm not. I am, am an, an, an observer and my observations are limited. Now, I get more exposure than most. And that's why I share what I have with you. People that get more exposure than me might still be able to benefit from this podcast because we get exposure that even people that are on the high levels of the international community for intelligence, their exposure is not going to lead them down the roads that our roads lead us. And, and, and we're on a very small micro level. And so on a macro level, what I'm sharing may not make a big difference, but, but sometimes it can at least what I have to share about what I've observed with the Chinese missionaries and with our partners inside of North Korea, what I've observed can add to someone who already has a massive plethora of information about North Korea. I've traveled about into North Korea for more than 15 years. I've written books about the situation in North Korea. I've started businesses and projects in North Korea. I've worked directly with the North Korean government. Uh, I think that the book that we've written at Back to Jerusalem called The Crimson Crucible, originally it was published as Back to the Jerusalem of the East, is the only book that I know of that gives a detailed outline of the church in North Korea. I don't know of any other book. Not many books are written about individuals who plant churches and deliver Bibles inside of North Korea and were arrested for preaching the gospel inside of North Korea, but we were able to do that with Smuggling Light with Sister Esther, who will, by the way, be in Dallas, Texas this year, which I'm super excited about. She'll also be in Montana, Idaho, and Colorado in the fall of 2022, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, you might want to join us. But North Korea really is a nation like no other. So information that I can give from our perspective will be able to help piece together puzzles for others that are focused on North Korea. Maybe you've just been praying for North Korea and you're listening to this podcast. This podcast will be able to share with you things about North Korea that you're not going to hear anywhere else. There's so many things that people don't know about North Korea. And before I give you an update, there's probably a, a need right here to, to step back for a moment and share a little bit about the North Korean uh, society that you're, you simply don't hear anywhere else. I've shared this in other podcasts, but those podcasts have been several years ago and you might not listen to other podcasts. And I don't know how searchable our podcasts are as it pertains to North Korea. So let me just give a couple of things about North Korea that you may not know. North Korea right now has about 25 million people. I would say 20 of those, four fifths, are slaves. We have people right now talking about the need to fight slavery inside of North Korea, or fight slavery around the world, fight racism, fight slavery, fight the slave trade. Guys, right now, the, bigger, the biggest slave trade taking place in the world is happening in North Korea. They have about 20 million people that could, people that could be classified as slaves. The reason I say that is because they have something that's called the Songbun status. 
If you're not familiar with, with North Korea, they basically have a, a nation that's been broken up into three different classes. I mean, there's 50 subclassifications, but it's three main classes that I often share about just to make it as easy as possible. It's the, if, if you are ever to think about the caste system in India, you know how people are born into different parts of society. You're either born to kind of be praised and in charge and to have all the breaks, or you're born at the bottom. And in India, we call them the untouchables. We have the untouchables in North Korea as well. We have three main caste systems or class systems, if you will. I, I often divide these three groups into the three C's. I call them the three C's, the core class, the common class, and the complex class. The core class, these are the elites. These are the people that are born into royalty. And North Korea has royalty. That's why they have a dynasty for their leadership. That's why you have the grandfather, the son, and the grandson that led have led the country since Kim Il-sung took over. So when we see in the 1950s with Kim Il-sung coming to power, he, when he died, it was his son that naturally took over. And then when Kim Jong-il died, it was his son that naturally took over. This is the dynasty that we see in royal times celebrated in Europe with kings and queens. Something that we may not be that familiar with in certain parts of the world, like America or other democracies, but in North Korea, they have a royalty, which is goes beyond being... Kim Jong-un is not a king. He's a god. It's a difference. So the next class, so you have the elite class or the core class, as I call them. So the core, the common, and the complex. The core class is the elite class. The, the, the common class is the blue color class. Those are the hard workers. Those are the guys that do everything that makes the country go round. These are the employed laborers, the tradesmen, the service industry, the, the managers, the farmers, the merchants, the teachers, the professors. These are the commoners and they make up over half of the population. And then at the very bottom, making up almost one third of the population is what we call the complex class or the untouchables. This is a very dangerous life. You're born into slavery. You, your, your, your family was made up of people that were uh, crime, people that broke crime or broke the law, criminals. They were anti-revolutionaries. They were free thinkers. They were capitalists, capitalist pigs, and they were Christians. For all intents and purposes, actually, the president of North Korea belongs in this class. He belongs in the untouchable class. He belongs in the bottom class. It's something that this is the dirty secret of North Korea that people don't talk about. The president of North Korea belongs in a gulag together with the other untouchables. And this is not just hyperbole. He is... so. When we look at this, this caste system, why does it exist? It exists because communism is embraced in North Korea. Whenever you believe in evolution, 
and embrace atheism as they do in North Korea. This is something that you're not going to, your, your child needs to hear this. If you have not been sharing this with your children, they're getting taught something completely different in public schools. And it doesn't matter whether they're in Canada, Europe, Australia, or South Africa. In public schools, your child is learning that atheism, or maybe not atheism, but if you embrace the idea of evolution as being quote-unquote science, then atheism is the natural embrace. It's the natural next step, right, of, of a logical thinker. That if evolution is true, then there's no God. Well, if there's no God and evolution is true, that means that you and I are products of former species. So I walk because my ancestors evolved into upright beings. I'm a biped human being walking on two feet instead of all fours because there was an evolution. And so I follow in the lineage of the evolutional chain that goes in my background. Well, if you're an anti-revolutionary, and your thinking can't be changed. Well, that's an evolutional defect, according to the Communist Party. So that is why when your parents commit a crime, you too suffer. Your grandparents commit a crime, you also suffer. Because it's considered that this is something that is now in your genetic code. This is in your bloodline. This is evolutional. There, you have criminal history in your family. Therefore, you are a criminal by default because you inherited it at birth. This is the teaching of Nazism, which comes from the idea of evolution. Why do you think that there was a teaching of the master race, which is exactly what we have in North Korea? Songban is Nazism. Evolutional teaching is Nazism because it teaches that we evolve as a species. And if you have generations that evolved in Papua New Guinea and generations that evolved in northern Scandinavia, in northern Scandinavia they could not have possibly evolved at the same rate because they had different environmental stimuli. Therefore, you, it's not possible to say that after thousands of years, those in northern Scandinavia are the same as those that have lived for a thousand years in Papua New Guinea. Because of the environmental stimuli, your body reacted, you received different ways of addressing your environment, and so therefore you evolved to be a different being. You cannot say all humans are equal if you believe in evolution, the two do not match. North Korea gets that. That's why they say you're born into the untouchable class, the complex class. And if that's true, Kim Jong-un belongs with the untouchables, which are kept in gulags in North Korea. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, his mother, for starters, was Japanese. A big no-no in North Korea. Japanese are the eternal enemy of the North Koreans. Anybody that sides with the Japanese comes from Japan. So automatically an enemy. 
So Kim Jong-un is part Japanese. The current president of North Korea is part Japanese, half Japanese. That puts him already by itself, nothing else, argument over, he's untouchable. Worse than that, his mother was not the wife of his father. She was the comfort woman. She, she, was, she was a, a mistress. She was not the official wife of Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-il had, had sons with his wives, his registered wives, but none of them can be president for other reasons that I've talked about in other podcasts, but I'm not going to get to in this one. But it doesn't stop there. Kim Jong-un's mother, because of her Japanese heritage, her grandfather worked in a factory producing items needed for the Japanese to invade North Korea. He worked in a war factory as Japan raged war with North Korea. Kim Jong-un was also raised by his aunt in Switzerland. He lied about who he was. His, his aunt and uncle said that they were his parents. They were not. They did that so that they could live with him in Switzerland and send him to a private school. When he came back to North Korea, his aunt and uncle left and became refugees in America. They are traitors with the great Satan America. That makes him an untouchable because family members of those that are traitors are punished. Also, Kim Jong-un, probably the most, the, the biggest ding against him is the fact that his great-grandmother was a Christian believer, along with his great-grandfather, house church leaders, preaching the gospel, sharing in the region between China and Korea. So, in almost so many ways, Kim Jong-un is a untouchable. He is at the bottom class. He was not born into royalty in one way. He was born into the lowest class that there is. But because it's a dynasty and he is the illegitimate child of his father, Kim Jong-il, he became the ruler, the new god. North Korea is closed more today than ever before because of Kim Jong-un. And right now, as I'm doing this podcast, they're in the middle of a natural disaster. They have been for a while. They've just gone through one of their harshest winters in years in North Korea, and we have no clue how many people are dead. A few days ago, there was a report that leaked out of, a, out of an area called Huanghai. Huanghai reported at least 20 people died last week from starvation. 20. And those are just the ones that we know. News is not coming out of North Korea. They are in the state of emergency. And it's not just me saying that. Kim Jong-un announced that they're in, the, they're in a state of emergency and things are bad. How do you know? How do you know how, that things are bad? Well, one, North Korea never admits when they're in the state of emergency, but they've just admitted it. Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea, came out and said and issued a state of emergency for everybody inside of North Korea because of food, lack of food, and the spread of the coronavirus. 
How do I know things are bad? How do I know that he's telling the truth when he comes out and he admits that they're in the state of emergency? Well, easy, because we've just seen North Korea do a barrage of missile tests and they plan to do more. At this point right now, as I'm doing this, this podcast, they haven't yet tested the nuclear weapon, but by the time you listen to this podcast, they probably already will have done a nuclear weapon test. And they're not doing it to threaten and to uh, find out how to actually make weapons that will prepare them for war. They're doing it because they're trying to strike fear in the rest of the world so that the rest of the world will basically become hostages and give free food to North Korea. North Korea can't come out and ask for free food. Many of you might be listening to the podcast and say, well, why doesn't North Korea, if they need food, why don't they just say, hey, we need food? There would be people lined up to give them free food, namely South Korea, which is their largest donor. They get more funds from South Korea than almost anywhere else, and they hate South Koreans. They hate Americans almost as much. And then that is the place where they get as much funding from as South Korea. So they're taking handouts left and right, but they don't do it openly. They don't come out and say, hey, we need handouts. Instead, what they like to do is put a gun to your head and say, give us money or we pull the trigger. That's why they do the testing of the missiles and the testing of the nuclear sites. So this is a problem inside of North Korea. And North Korea has been said for many years to be a closed country, so how can we help? How can we help in a nation that's closed off from the rest of the world inside this hermit kingdom? How can we get aid that comes in? Well, one of the things that I have learned working with North Korea is there's no such thing as a closed nation. Back to Jerusalem knows this more than anyone else. There's no such thing as a closed nation. It's just um, a creative access nation. North Korea is not a closed nation. It's a creative access nation. And when it comes to creative access nations, we've never lived in a better time. We have more ways to get the gospel into the hands of people, no matter where they're at. Closed country, open country, does not matter. We live in the best time for missions to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and get creative access into nations that are supposed to be closed than has ever existed in the history of mankind. Right now, you're listening to a podcast, no matter where you're at, I'm doing it in Holland. I'm doing it about North Korea. I am on my way to America, and you're listening to this podcast, who knows where. That's never been possible for the history of man up until the last hundred years. And now I'm doing this recording, not in a studio that was needed just 50 years ago. I'm doing it with a mobile device that I have with, with me at all times in my pocket. I'm doing this in my hotel room. And as soon as I hit stop on this podcast, I'm going straight to the airport to check in for my flight because I'm already running late. We live in the best time that's ever been for missions, and that includes North Korea. And before I get to what we're actually doing in North Korea, I need to just share a couple of things that have really been at the top of my heart. I've been sharing this in the meetings that I've been, in these closed-door meetings, I've been sharing about this, this concept that I've been gnawing on for the last 
12 months that I've, I've been unpacking, kind of, kind of untethering and, and trying to see what the connection is because there's two verses that I've been obsessed with and I might be obsessed with to, for the rest of my life. I'm obsessed with right now, but I feel like this could be something that lasts with me forever. And for anybody that works close to me, you're going to get sick of this message. I can promise. I can already see it being abused where I just talk about it all the time. I often do this with music. I've got a song right now, a couple songs that I just keep playing over and over and over. And I know that they're going to get old and I know that I'm going to wear them out. But uh, there, and then there's, there's, you know, friends of mine that are saying, Hey, you know what? You need to, you need to slow down on those, those favorite songs. I got, um, one person, Bethany, who is at the UK office. She shared with me this playlist. And so there's a couple songs on that playlist that I've been listening to. And I've been just listening to them over and over and over and over on repeat, two songs specifically. And so she's like, yeah, you don't, you shouldn't do that. Like if listening to those songs, you're going to wear them out and you're not going to enjoy them anymore. And I'm like, I don't care. Like I can either enjoy them now and wear them out and then not listen to them for a few years, or I can try to somehow limit myself, restrict myself <laughs> with the hopes that I'll listen to it in the future and enjoy it in the future. But the truth is I may not make it to the future. So I'm going to listen to them now. And so as I do with music, I also do with sermons. God gives me a word and it's like it's on my playlist. It's on the playlist of my heart. And I just keep repeating it. There's three words that have been echoing for me. Three words that will probably be a part of my sermon for a very long time. Three words that start off the creation story and the gospel story. Three words that have just been drilling into my head and have been the beginning of sermons for the last two weeks. Three words that I've shared about before in other sermons, but now I'm able, I think, to kind of layer them a little bit closer in especially a situation that we see in North Korea. These three words, the three words that start off creation, the three words that start off the gospel story, in the beginning. Those three words are connected both in Genesis 1-1 and John 1-1. In the beginning, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created. This is directly connected to our work in North Korea. It may not sound like it at first, but give me just a moment to share because in the beginning, God created. How did he create? He spoke it into existence. I often ask people, has God ever lied? And everybody says, no. They'll quote the Bible verse, God is not a man that he should lie. And we take that as the fact that God has never lied. But even if I haven't read the Bible, even if I don't believe in the Bible, but I do believe that there's a higher being, a deity that is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, I would have to say that he, it would be impossible for him, that deity, that God, 
to lie. Why? Because of creation. How did God create? He created by speaking everything to, into existence. So it didn't exist before he spoke it, but it did exist after he spoke it. It's impossible for God to lie. Why? Because if it wasn't true before he said it, it is true after he said it because his words create. God's words create. Let me take it even further. When God created, he created that which could not be destroyed and created, and that which he has not created cannot be created. So you and I, we might think that we're creating something. You and I might have creative thoughts and invent something, but it is just that. It's an invention, not a creation. There's a difference. I'm using a mobile phone right now to do this podcast. I'm sitting in front of my computer. I'm sitting in a hotel with lights. I will be getting on an airplane. We have many different things today that were invented by man since Adam and Eve. But everything that I have today, my computer, my phone, the jet airplane that I'm going to be taking, all of that had every element needed to create it during the days of Adam and Eve. We didn't create jack squat. We invented. We took that which was already created and put it together to make something new out of creation that already existed. God is the creator. Nothing exists that he did not create, including you and I. And you and I, from what I read in God's word, is that we are created in his image. That doesn't mean I have his nose and his eyes. It means that I have been created in his image. God as a spirit, God as God, I was created in his image. As he has love, I've been stamped with love on my DNA. As, as he is the truth, I have the truth stamped on my DNA. As he is a creator, he created me as his creation, and me as his creation must also be creative because in my image of my creator, as his creation, I must be creative in order to be created in the image of the creator. Does that make sense? So I am creative because I am created in the image of the creator. And to rightly reflect the image of the creator, I must be creative because I am created in his image. We as Christians have the ability to create. And I would say that we have the ability to create more than people in the world. Even though we look to people like Steve Jobs or Apple or, or Microsoft or Boeing to create things or to make things, and then we as Christians will use the world's invention for our purposes, I think it needs to be the opposite way where we create things in service to God and the world benefits from them, even if they use them for bad things, for secular things. Why? Because God is the creator. He doesn't just create. He is the creator. He is the epitome of the creation because he created all that's in the creation. He doesn't just create. 
I guess that's what I'm saying. He doesn't just create, he is the creator. And the more I want to be creative, the more I have to draw closer to the creator. The further I am away from the creator, the more I push the creator away, the less creative I become. And because I become more creative and I'm starving for that creativity that I can only get from the creator, I must then try to mimic the creator. And how do I do that? With drugs, with sex, with things that take my mind away from the fact that I'm away from the creator, with the hope of tapping into a creativity that mimics my time with the creator. That's why when God is absent, drugs are necessary. You can listen to a song that's written by you know some artist today and be like, oh yeah, no, I'm listening to the words. That dude was high. He was high as a kite when he wrote that. Have you ever noticed why that Christian countries, and you can argue what that means to be a Christian country, but they are the most creative when it comes to movies, when it comes to music, when it comes to art, when it comes to medicine, when it comes to academia, when it comes to research and breakthroughs and IT and all of those things, Christian nations lead the pack. When it, Do you think you're going to find computers invented in Saudi Arabia? Do you think that you're going to be looking for medical breakthroughs in Nepal or Bhutan, Tibet? Nobody's going to these nations that push God out to look for the newest creation or the newest invention, rather. Why? Because those that are closer to the creator become creative. And those that become creative that are in Christian countries don't create because they have a relationship with God. It's just that they benefit from living in a nation that allows God to have freedom among their society. And as a result, they are residually blessed by creativity. They get the overpouring. The rain falls down on the just and the unjust alike. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. And how did he create? Through his word. John 1.1, in the beginning, was the word. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word. John does something that's never been done before in all of the religions of the world. He takes the idea of logos, the word. You can translate it into many other things as well, like this a spoken idea. Um, logic, debate, all encapsulated in this word, this Greek word, logos, which is used in John. So John 1.1, we see this idea of in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. This concept, this attribute, this characteristic is now being deified by John. And this is not John's first time doing this. John is writing like a poet. That's why his gospel is separated from the other gospels. We call the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as synoptic gospels. They all intertwine, but yet John stands alone. John is this, this poetic version of the gospel, this, this love story about salvation through Jesus Christ. 
And, and he points out that in, in, in his letter, 1 John 4, 7, and 8, he says, God is love. If we don't show God love, then we don't know God because God is love. He doesn't just love us. He is love. John then also takes the same attributes and, and ties them to Christ and, and records Jesus when Jesus says this. And this when, when John first hears Jesus say this, this might be his connection to realize that God's attributes are God. And when we have those attributes in our life, even when we deny God, we show that he still somehow has his DNA stamped on us because we are showing that we are created in his image when we share these attributes, when we think we are in his absence. But by showing those attributes, we're showing that we still have him in our lives. Because when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, he's not just saying that I teach the way, I show the way, I illuminate the way. He's not just saying that I teach the truth, I, I espouse the truth, I, I embrace the truth. He says that I am the truth. I am life. If you have life today, even if you reject God, God is still with you because you could not have life without him. And he doesn't just give life. He doesn't just breathe life. He doesn't just sustain life. He is life. And when John says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, we walk into something completely different. Now, please pay attention because I'm about to destroy a perfectly good Christian dogma. And this is not political. What I'm about to say is not political. I've said it before. I've done podcasts on it. I've been super motivated by it, but it fits into this creative nation status, not close country, creative access nations. Because the reason nations are closed is to stop freedom of speech. This is the very first attack that the enemy always makes on any country. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. How do you keep the Word from getting in? By stopping freedom of speech. This is how the gospel is spread. The gospel is spread by preaching the good news. And how will they know unless they've heard? And how will they hear unless someone is sent? It's not good enough to send a podcast. It's not good enough to send a Facebook message. It's not good enough to start a website. It's not good enough to do satellite TV uh, broadcasting. It's not, a, it's not good enough to do radio broadcasting. It's not good enough to send in special tools to put into people's hands that will share with them the word. Those are tools that we can use in our arsenal to share the gospel, but nothing will replace the missionary that preaches the word. And when the word of Jesus Christ is in us, the word of Jesus Christ comes out of us when we speak. And that's why the enemy wants to stop freedom of speech. But God has given us the power of creativity and the word. God has given us the power of creativity because we were created in the image of the creator. And we must be creative in order to be an image of the Creator. Creativity 
is our expression of praise. When you sing to the Lord, when you write songs for the Lord, when you paint for the Lord, when you dance for the Lord, that is creativity translating into praise. But do not limit your creativity to what we in Greek thinking say are the arts. Because you are just as artistic if you can farm better. If you can find a unique way to load trucks. If you can find a unique way to make things more easy on an assembly line at a factory. If you can find a unique way to heal a disease. If you can find a unique way to transfer information. All of these, the farmer that grows better crops is doing so as an expression of his praise. The factory worker that finds a better way to run the assembly line is expressing his praise. Because being that which God has created you to be and taking pride in it, putting effort in it, investing your emotions and spirit and time and everything that you are into that is taking the talents that God has given to you and multiplying them in service to the master. The master has given you and I talents. We can hide them under a rock. We can try to preserve them and say, well, I just wanted them to be here when, when you got, I didn't want to embarrass you. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to lose it. I didn't want to express it and then it fall flat in front of the audience and, and they think that I'm stupid or I, I'm, 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 I'm not very talented or I embarrass myself or, or I embarrass you. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to embarrass you. So I hid my talent under a rock. And as a result, when the Creator comes back to look for the talents that He's invested in your life, only you could have used those talents. He didn't give them to anyone else. Laying on your deathbed, many years from now, you will be called to account for the things, the talents that God has put into your hands. And you can say, oh yeah, sorry, I hid them hid them under a rock because I knew that you were a stern master. I knew that you would want these talents back. And the creator is like, I didn't want those talents back in that way. I gave you those talents to be multiplied. Notice this, when the creator created his creation, he created them with the ability to also create. Yeah, we don't create matter. We don't create uh, uh, aluminum or, or sodium or, or any other element in this world. We don't create those things. But he gave us the power to create, recreate life. We, gave, we give birth to children. We invent things. We have ideas. You can kill us, but we can share ideas that go on forever. He created us to be creative in this perpetual 
line of creativity. It's like this rock that's been dropped in the water and it ripples out. The creation creates. The birds give birth to other birds. Man gives birth to other men. Or actually, I need to be very careful in today's world because I just watched the documentary, What is a Woman? And they were saying that men can give birth and they cannot. It's scientifically impossible for man to give birth. I mean, they can try to do some things to manipulate the male body, but a male cannot give birth. They don't menstruate. They don't have a menstruation cycle. They're, they're not producing eggs. They don't have a womb. They don't have ovaries. They don't have all of those essential ingredients that you need to maybe mix in the pot in order to have a baby. So man is not giving birth to man. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that mankind, including woman, gives life to other humans. Of course, God creates them in the womb. He gives them the spirit, but it's that joining of man and woman together that has that creative power. We have been called to be creative. We've been given elements. And so it is our job, it is our duty to create ways of getting the gospel into North Korea. This is why this week we have been able to send $3,000, not a lot, very small amount. We've been able to send $3,000 to families inside of North Korea. We had a small window that opened up. We took advantage of it. And we're working on creative ways to be able to get the gospel into North Korea. We still have our businesses that I can't go into detail in North Korea, but we've been able to, as an update, we've been able to maintain those businesses and we've been able to bring in $3,000 for food for North Korean families that we are connected with. This is a direct result of prayer being answered. This is a direct result of God working together with Chinese back to Jerusalem missionaries, giving them the spirit of creativity that only comes from the Creator, investing into them with talents of creativity. And they are going forward and multiplying those. I'm asking for your prayer. Right now, North Korea is going through a very hard time. According to the World Food Program, at the winter of uh, November of last year, the winter of, I guess, this year, last year, the, the winter of 21-22, the year 2021 and 2022, uh, starting in November, the World Food Program said that the majority, of the, fam uh, the majority of the people in North Korea are suffering from a famine. That 40%, according to the World Food Program, 40% of North Koreans are malnutritioned with serious lack of food and on the verge of starvation if they do not get it. They need prayers. They need the word. They need Christians to be creative, to pray, to grow closer to, to Christ and get that supernatural creativity that takes North Korea from being a closed country and turning it into a creative access country. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word. The Word can get into North Korea if we are being creative 
And instead of being a closed country, North Korea flips to being a creative access country. And when we see what God is doing and how he does it, we can only rejoice. Behold, he is doing something new. And it has never been thought of before. It's the most creative thing we've ever seen. I want to thank you so much for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Holland. God bless you.